Chapter 3 of the Mind the Paint Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. The Mind the Paint Girl by Louis Tracy. Chapter 3. Whiskey and soda and champagne, in layers, are remarkable for their stimulating effect. Jays shook off his gloom. He even talked cordially with Bertie Fulkerson, a pallid, languid youngster whose red-rimmed eyes and generally decrepit appearance suggested that he drank and smoked too much, and walked and ate too little. A plump, jovial-looking, middle-aged man of marked Jewish appearance had lounged in with Fulkerson, and was hailed instantly by Roper as Sam, to the public at large, he was known as Mr. Samuel de Castro, a dabbler in literature and the arts, but seeing that his output in these slave-driven occupations was nil, and that he always had plenty of money, which he spent freely as a patron of the lighter drama, it might be assumed that certain whisperings that connected him with a noted firm of rag merchants were not wholly devoid of foundation. He spoke with a pronounced lisp, wore white waistcoats morning and evening, sported a gorgeous diamond, interchangeable as a scarf-pin and stud, and was popularly reputed to regret the fact that the white spats he affected during the day were not fashionable at night. He, it would seem, had heard of Lily Paradell for the first time that evening. "'Glad to see you, Lal,' he said to the stockbroker. "'Bertie tells me you know the fair Lily.' Won't you introduce me? I suppose all her friends will be meeting her after the show. You must ask Bland, dear boy. Vincent has kept us bunny outsiders in the dark. You two, Carlton, you were just as bad. A regular conspiracy, I call it. But Miss Paradell ought to hear what we think about her. Let's get up a supper. Come now, Carlton, be a sport. You can manage it. Just give the word, and I'll order a table at the Catineth. No go, Sam, me boy, said Smythe cheerily. He was celebrated as the most genial refuser in the business. Vincent Bland is a regular martinet in these matters. Kept the poor girl in bed all Sunday, I hear. Actually set her mother to mount guard over her with an axe, or some other domestic implement. And he's right, me boy, quite right. He's too old a bird to allow his prized chick to crock with excitement. Jays decided to assert himself. He was flushed in face and husky of voice, and his gorge rose at hearing these men discuss his lily without any regard for his presence, as though he were a non-entity. Mr Bland would certainly refuse to permit Miss Paradell to attend a supper party tonight, he said and his strident tone held every ear at once. But, if it's equally agreeable to all of you, why not lunch with me at Catani's tomorrow? Say, one o'clock, sharp, and I'll bring Miss Paradell. No one answered for a second or two, until Roper recovered his wits. Right you are, Jays, he cried. You took the words out of my mouth, but youth will be served, eh? What? My little festivity can stand over till you're playing marbles on the curra. Jays glanced round. How many of us? Six? Miss Paradell will invite a few friends from the theatre. Call it a round dozen. 
May I send her a note, Mr. Smythe? And would you let me use your telephone? I usually take her home in a hansom, but tonight's blaze of glory calls for a brougham. The manager cast a contemplative eye over him. Certainly, he said. Come along, you'll find all the resources of civilization in my room. Who's the lordly person? demanded de Castro when the two had gone. Name of Jays, Nico Jays in the North Dethans, explained Roper briefly. Notwithstanding his prompt acceptance of the morrow's invitation, he was annoyed by the young man's air of proprietorship where Lily Paradell was concerned, and was rather inclined to resent it. Is he the accepted candidate? purred de Castro, who liked nothing better than a chance of stroking his friend's fur the wrong way. Not he. He'd like to be, that's all. He's a bit of a wet blanket, is poor nigger, grinned von Rettenmeyer. Let the pretty lily once get her head free, and it had up with nigger. For the Lord's sake, Baron, have another glass of bubbly and clear your throat, growled Roper irritably. No wine left. Four whiskers and sodas, please, miss, said Fulkerson. He he, giggled de Castro. You do come to the point quickly, Bertie. Drawing is dry work, drawled Fulkerson, and some people I could name seem to have lost their tempers. Why was Nico in such a rat? He looked as if he wanted to lick somebody. Meanwhile, Smythe led Jays along a corridor and turned the handle of a door cunningly concealed in a mass of white and gold moulding. "'Here you are,' he said, switching on the electric lights. "'Right at my desk. While you're about it, shall I ring up the coupé, people?' "'It's awfully good of you,' said Jays. Smythe busied himself at the telephone, but his gaze dwelt on the face of the man seated at the table. In stature he was fully as tall as Jays, though he lacked the physical development of drill and an open-air life. His hair might have been grey had it been permitted to follow its natural bent, but his neatly trimmed Van Dyke beard was still silky in texture and light brown in colour. The instincts of the older crop were checked, though not so obtrusively as to attract attention. For the rest he was a good-looking person, with a nose inclining to length and thinness, and long practice had given him the most amiable and non-committal smile in London. By the time the brougham was arranged for, 11.15, to ask for Captain Jays at the stage door of the Pandora Theatre, the note was finished. "'I am very much obliged,' began Jays, standing up. "'I'll send that round in a few minutes. Miss Paradell is off soon after the curtain rises.' said Smythe pleasantly. By the way, you must be an old friend of hers. Yes, oh, yes, as age goes in friendship with a girl under twenty. Is she so young? Well, she looks it. She has a career before her, Captain Jays. I hope you don't mind me saying it, but it would be a pity if anything interfered with her prospects in the near future. Marriage, for instance, would be a real calamity, not only to the play-going public, but to herself. If Carlton Smythe had taken part in his own productions, he could never have avoided being cast for a kind, good husband or a genial uncle. His smooth voice and sympathetic smile took away any semblance of sting or even of undue inquisitiveness, 
from such a remark as that which he had just uttered. Jay's, to his own subsequent surprise, did not resent it in the slightest degree. Much as I admire your theatre, Mr. Smythe, he said, I can hardly agree with you that Lily, Miss Paradell, might not be happier if she abandoned it. You're mistaken, dear boy, quite mistaken, I assure you. If we were discussing women generally, I would agree with you to the utmost, but it is otherwise with the born actress, especially when she has, so to speak, been reared in the profession. To deny Miss Paradell the exercise of her art, now that she has shown what is in her, would be a crime, and, as some diplomat put it, worse than a crime, a plunder. Don't you see what would happen? She would always be grieving over a lost opportunity. Every time she sang a little song or mimicked some celebrity in her own home, people would say, Dear me, Mrs. So-and-so, I wonder you didn't go on the stage. Or, if they knew something of her history, why did you ever leave the Pandora after making such a decided hit? Do you think that sort of thing conduces to steady running in double harness? No, sir, it doesn't. It's as bad as bearing rain, a constant source of annoyance. Mind you, I'm speaking of the artistic temperament, which doesn't find its outlet in making jam and fixing frocks for the kiddies out of paper patterns at sixpence halfpenny a time. Oddly enough, Jay's experienced an unfathomable sense of satisfaction on hearing these words of wisdom from the lips of one so fully qualified to utter them. They counselled delay, and the necessity for delay had been worrying him ever since he first formed the opinion that Lily Paradell was the one girl in the world he wanted to marry. "'I'm glad I've had this chat with you,' he said. "'I make no secret of the fact that I mean to, that I hope to have the honour of asking Lily to be my wife one of these days.' But not yet. I must see my way a little clearer. You understand, Mr. Smythe, there are difficulties for an army man, and I'm keen on making Lily happy when I do provide a home for her. Carlton Smythe's eyes twinkled, no doubt with heartfelt appreciation of such excellent sentiments. Exactly, he said. In a year or two you will have laid your plans. By that time Miss Paradell will have established her fame, and no matter whether she remains on the stage or leaves it, she will at least be rid of the canker of what might have been, which, like a boil, breaks out in unexpected places. Well, shall I see you to your note? The curtain is up. It occurred to Jay's some months later that the astute manager of the Pandora Theatre had contrived to humbug him rather neatly. For the moment he was quite grateful to this kindly mentor, who had helped to dissipate some of his qualms. He was late in reaching his stall, and earned further unpopularity. But that did not trouble him, because his thoughts were completely absorbed by his own affairs. Indeed, Nicholas Jays was somewhat of an egoist. With him, impartial judgment meant the point of view which best suited his own ends, and now that he had seen the folly of attempting to dash to the ground the brimming cup just lifted to Lily Paradar's lips, there was a most admirable reason for postponing the crisis which an open engagement would surely bring about. Of course, the average young man in love does not reason in that cold-blooded way, but Jay's was not an average young man, he was a highly efficient officer in His Majesty's service, and, 
although indubitably in love, he thought it wise not to sacrifice his career for the sake of a wife just yet. He was the sort of man who might blame the girl if his calculations did not accord with the facts. He might even try to force the facts to fit in with his calculations. But the gods are merciful to mankind in one respect. They veil the future in impenetrable mists, and if Jays was content with the present outlook, the gods were content to leave him so. Lily was delayed that night. When she did at last appear through the stage door, she was accompanied by a number of girls, all talking at once. For the hour, at any rate, her friends in the profession were devoid of the least envy, and honestly rejoicing in the success of one of themselves. The goddess of fortune had smiled on Lily Paradel today. It might be the turn of Gabs, or Enid, or Nita, or Flo next week. Scraps of eager talk which reached the waiting jays were illuminating. My dear, you should have seen Eva Shafto watching you from the prompt side. If a look could have slain... Obviously, Eva Shafto was the leading lady. Oh, Eva's all right. Sir George's motor was waiting for her. Vincent was delighted. You can always tell when he's pleased, because he sticks his thumbs in his waistcoat and stands with his feet wide apart. And look here, Lil, don't be silly and take the first figure Smythe offers you. Go to a good agent. It's worth paying the comp. I ought to hate you, but I don't though the Baron and Smythe told him he was keeping me in mind. This from Enid Moncrief, a willowy beauty, rather impressive in style. Lily burst through the lively crowd. Oh, girls, you've all been so good to me, she cried. Ah, there's Nico. Is that Brown for me? How sweet of you. Don't forget Katani's at one, everybody. Nico. I've made my half-dozen fourteen. Do you mind just this once? Then, with your six, will be a score, a musical score. Girls, I'm not so mad as I look if I can rap out a new wheeze. Goodbye. I can't kiss you all, and my poor face is sticky with tears. Jays was about to follow her into the brown when the stage door attendant rushed out. He was carrying a lustrous bouquet of red and white carnations. Beg pardon, miss, he said. I was nearly forgetting this. Miss Shafto left it for you. A card pinned to a broad white ribbon bore the words, With love and hearty congratulations from Eva Shafto. How kind, how very kind, the girl almost sobbed. Gabs, you cat, she shrilled suddenly. Take back what you said about Eva Shafto. She sent me that ducky bouquet that was handed up to her after Star of Even tonight. Ass growled Jays to himself. He had forgotten to provide some flowers on this, her great night, were it not for the leading lady's graceful thought. Lily would have gone home, lacking the tiniest spray of the actress's laurel. In Wellington Street, Jays extended a lover-like arm, meaning to encircle the girl's waist. With a deft movement, she eluded him. "'Not tonight, Nico,' she said. "'Please don't touch me tonight.' Everybody in the theatre embraced me till I wanted to scream. Everybody? Well, the everybody of my small world. Men as well as women, I suppose. In a savage tone that made her laugh hysterically, then she began to talk strangely, wildly, 
with a curiously pathetic break in her voice at times. Shocking, wasn't it? But they meant well, the dears, and I hadn't the heart to say, mind the paint, don't be angry, Nico. I shall hold you all the dearer if you don't come any nearer. There, you see, I'm still all of a whirl. I know I shall feel awful tomorrow if the people applaud me when I begin to sing my song, but didn't it go beautifully? And you were shouting with the best of them. I actually heard your voice, even in that din. Nico, shall I wake up in the morning and find that it was all a dream, and that poor Ma and I must still keep on paying twelve shillings a week for apartments in the Kennington Park Road? Apartments with use of kitchen and lock-up coal cellar and pop a penny in the slop when the gas goes out? Oh, my! Is that dingy prospect really vanishing out of our lives? Shall I earn a decent salary and free my mother from the drudgery of cooking and scrubbing? And mending? Shall I be able to buy her nice clothes? Poor thing, she picked up a cheap dress last October. It would be warm for the winter, she said. And only the other day she told me that summer was getting on so fast that she thought she would make her frock hold out till next spring. Good God, Nico, the blue serge I'm wearing cost her this year's dress because she can manage, whereas I have to be decently clothed. Do you know the meaning of the word manage? You have taught me how to conjugate verbs, but that is a verb which is found only in the textbooks of the poor. I have managed, thou shalt manage, he or she might, could or should manage, on thirty-five bob a week and pay your own fares. Jays was suddenly gripped by a new emotion. Not being wholly a fool, he devoted himself to soothing her, to praising unstintingly, to promising fame and fortune. He told her of the nice things said by Carlton Smythe, by De Castro, by strangers in the audience, and when he bade her good night, he simply pressed her hand and promised to call next day in good time for the luncheon party. He retired to rest rather more easy in mind. When all was said and done, it was more seemly that he should marry a celebrity than a mere chorus girl, and any man would prefer that the woman he loved should be raised out of the penury which constitutes London's gravest offence against its young and pretty girls. Then he fell asleep and dreamed that Bertie Fulkerson had stabbed Sam de Castro with a large carving knife giving as a reason that he was tired of Sam's white waistcoats. The lunch at Catani's went off gaily, though it travelled on lines not contemplated by the giver of the feast. Lily Paradal, of course, was its bright particular star, and Captain Nicholas Jays had the honour of paying the bill, but his part in the entertainment threatened to stop there. It was essentially a theatrical and bohemian gathering, and if Jays had lived twenty years in the Catier Latin, it may be doubted whether, on the twentieth anniversary, he would have footed it in the right spirit at the Cat's Arts Ball. Lily, brimming over with delight, praised the charming flowers which decked the table, and Sam de Castro commented on the excellence of the wine, but Jays strive as he might, and did, felt that he was in this company and not of it. Once toward the close of the feast, he struck in valiantly. "'Dash it all!' he cried. "'Except Lil and Lal Roper, all of you call me Captain Jays, 
I won't stand it. My name is Nico, and please don't forget it. Sorry, Bertie, I omitted you, but you are at the other end of the table. And you too, Baron, even if you do call me Nigo. Enid, here's to that song Carlton Smythe has in mind for you. Vincent, may you write it and a jolly one too. Waiter, cried Fulkerson, fill two glasses. I have a couple of toasts to honour. A laugh went around. Under cover of it, von Rettenmeyer whispered to Enid Moncrief, "De wet blanket is steaming. Who is the wet blanket, and why should it steam, and what on earth are you gassing about? demanded the young lady. Mein lieber, I am talking in parables. You're talking nonsense, if you ask me, Cat. Well, Nico, then, when did our worthy manager say anything about a new song for me, or even an old one, for that matter? Ah, I mustn't reveal the secrets of the treasure house. A man may smile and smile and be a villain, but if in it smiles even a managerial ogre must yield. That was his best effort. Carlton Smythe, not being a villain, smiled seraphically, and the ruthless Vincent Bland interfered by remarking that there was a call for three o'clock, and it was now 2.45. That night, Mrs. Upjohn came to the theatre to hear her daughter's song, so that there were three in the homeward-bound cab. On this occasion, Jays had paid pounds for the right sort of bouquet, which was handed over the footlights with fitting ceremony by the conductor. But, to Jays' annoyance, there were four others, one from the company, three from unknown admirers. Next morning he received a note per message boy. Next morning, he received a note per boy messenger. Dear Nico, it ran, I'm awfully sorry, but I can't meet you today. Too bad, isn't it, when you are off to the Curra this afternoon, but CS and VB have been putting their heads together, and my part is to be made more of, and my song is transferred to the second act, and I'm in the theatre now, hard at work. There are people, you know, who dine late, and bookstalls just to see one item, and the management think this may happen in my case. Flattering, but a nuisance, because rehearsal has started early and will end late. I hear that the libraries were getting anxious, so Carlton Smythe had to consider them. Never mind, dear, I write often, and the days will fly until you come again to dear old London town. Yours ever, Lil. Fly, would they? Jays thought they would drag most infernally. Not another hour's leave was possible until the close of the autumn manoeuvres. He had to plead urgent private affairs before his colonel would listen to an application for the brief respite now ended. He had been on the point of strolling out, but a fine morning had lost its attraction, and he sauntered into the club smoking room, there he picked up a newspaper, and within a minute was glaring angrily at a paragraph in a column headed Notes and News. Yesterday, he read, Captain Jays of the North Devons, who is relaxing in town after the strenuous life of the Curra, entertained a party of friends to luncheon at Catani's restaurant, 459 Strand. Though the majority of the guests hailed from the Pandora Theatre, Society was represented by Mr. Bertie Fulkerson, diplomacy by Baron von Rettenmeyer, 
of the German Embassy, the Arts by Mr Samuel de Castro, and the Stock Exchange by Mr Lionel Roper. The diva of the function, moreover, was Miss Lily Paradell, who is already known to the smart set as the Mind the Paint girl of the Pandora, Luigi catered in his inimitable way, and the fun was fast and furious, while not a few of the regular patrons of the restaurant were highly interested in learning that the new star was shining in their midst, and in broad daylight, which went to prove that her extraordinary attractiveness on the stage is by no means dependent on artifice, and so on, in excellent journalese. The well-meaning scribe might have had no more sinister intent than to do a good turn both to Catani's and to Lily Paradal, but Jay's was still fuming over the expose, for he regarded it as nothing less, while his luggage was being piled on a hansom. Hello, Jay's, said a man who had just emerged from the club and was standing on the top step of the entrance. Back to the army again? Yes. Let me see. You're quartered at the Curra, aren't you? Yes. You have my condolences, beastly hull, all grass and furs. Still, I've had some fairly decent intervals there, ripping snipe-shooting within a few hours, and the racing isn't half bad. Have you hunted with the Kildare? No. You're barely monosyllabic this morning, Nico. What's wrong? Got the hump? Something of the sort. Goodbye, Euston. Cabby! End of chapter 3